other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey, thanks for tuning in and telling a friend that you hang out right here, and we're glad that you're here on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. We kick off again, broadcasting from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. We call him the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop in to one of five convenient locations across the Hub City for the best wash around, guaranteed, racerwash.com. Lots and lots to get in with today. Uh, Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, is going to join us. And uh, we're going to talk about the money side of the legislature, things that we want you to be interested in and be paying attention to, the differences between the incoming House Speaker and uh, or the new House Speaker, we should say now, uh, Yesterday, Dennis Bonin becoming the Speaker of the Texas House and the differences between he and the old guard with uh, Joe Strauss, former Speaker of the House. And how can you do what, you, what you're going to hear so much about, and if you've not already, is fixing school finance in Texas and, you know, how the Robin Hood and how we take money from districts and put them into other districts and how the whole thing's underfunded. That seems to be uh, indicative from administrators down to your local property taxes and why you're paying so much of those property taxes. I believe um, the state pays about 35%. We pay 55%. That's why the rates at the schools stay the same and the taxes go up year to year because more money is being taken out, but they have an opportunity to fix that with some extra money, some five, six billion dollars at least approach fixing it. We'll get in with Ross Ramsey. Also, did you know that now you can have Alexa with your toilet if you want to drop seven grand on a toilet? Uh, an immersive experience is what they're calling it. All sorts of tech stuff, 8K televisions, and while we need to get rid of those end user agreements on all the dumb apps on our phones and uh, different applications within applications, Facebook and otherwise. Uh, I don't know who's still playing Farmville, but um, Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solution. We're going to go from toilets to televisions to in-service agreements. So all that ahead for you as we roll along here on the program. But this is where I want to start, just as we all predicted six months ago, just as we all predicted Beto O'Rourke for president and Cliff Kingsbury to the NFL as a head coach. Some of us saw the Beto thing. I remember calling it saying, is he running for senator? Is he running for president? Um, but now it looks more and more like both of those scenarios could come about. Neither is confirmed at this point. But start with Beto O'Rourke, who is getting this from Politico, getting a significant lift in early nominating states of South Carolina and Nevada, with operatives in both states joining an effort to draft O'Rourke into the presidential campaign. Yes, it is January 2009, and yes, we are talking 2020. Uh, this has a Texas angle on it. I usually try to stay away from uh national politics but this is of some intrigue boyd brown a former south carolina lawmaker and former democratic national committee member told politico on monday that he will become national senior advisor to a draft beto campaign meanwhile the group was expected later monday this being earlier this week to announce the hiring of a political consultant as Nevada State Director. Uh, David Sonoff served as communications advisor to Nevada State Democratic Party during the 2018 midterm elections and was deputy chief of staff um, to somebody in California. Tyler Jones, who worked as a chief strategist for Joe Cunningham's stunning upset victory 
in a congressional race, race last year will be the group's South Carolina state director. And officials said they are interviewing strategists in Iowa and New Hampshire as well. All seems pretty serious. Um, Brown, a former member of the state uh, representatives in South Carolina, served as state chairman of Martin O'Malley's presidential campaign in 2016, so that didn't go well. The former Maryland governor announced last week that he will not run for president again in 2020. Oh, so it did go well. I'm sorry. I thought O'Malley lost. My bad. Um, Brown called O'Rourke a, quote, rock star, comparing him to Robert F. Kennedy and his brother Joe F. Kennedy. When a once-in-a-generation politician comes along, you've got to support him, Brown said. So it seems like the old guard uh, Democratic Party is saying he's not prepared. Um, those of us who've watched know that he came within just under three points. Ted Cruz in Texas, in red Texas, and that seems to be the pedigree. Uh, that will be crazy town to watch. Forget the politics. I'm just talking about the political theater of O'Rourke running a national campaign and the sort of pop phenomenon he'll be uh, across the country. Uh, be intriguing to watch. And the contrast with Donald Trump. Now, listen, I want to say this. Again, I'm taking some liberty to talk about national politics. Call me crazy. But I see the memes and I hear the taglines from Donald Trump, and they work pretty effectively on Elizabeth Warren, for example. A Pocahontas, uh, the meme, one, you know, somebody took a Elizabeth Warren 2020 sign and said one 2020th um, for her ethnic claims of a Native American origin, uh, ethnicity. Uh, I don't think... I don't think that I think it's going to make some people on the right chuckle whenever he does that to O'Rourke. But a lot of political consultants, this is their thinking, especially with men. They want somebody who middle aged women and I'm not being deprecating here. This is the political thought. If you can get middle aged women to say that's somebody who I'd want to be my son or one of my son's friends. Um, that has a lot of staying power. So I don't think that that necessarily rings true for Elizabeth Warren, at least with middle-aged men or elder men. But I think that there could be a lot of sympathy in that to say, I think O'Rourke could, could actually be one candidate against whom um, he could provide some Teflon. Uh, it'd be hard to put a Lion Ted descriptor on him or little Marco Rubio, uh, the things that you've seen Donald Trump do in the past. I think that I think that he could, the likability is so high with O'Rourke that he could fend very well against those sorts of ad hominem attacks from the president in a re-election campaign uh, going into 2020. Now, what we also thought was true, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, which we didn't, it's just crazy to think that, you know, he lost to Baylor and then was out of his job. And now we're talking about Cliff Kingsbury in the pros. This from Nick Shook, NFL.com. The saga of Cliff Kingsbury continues to evolve. The Arizona Cardinals are interviewing the sought-after assistant on uh, this week for their vacant head coach position, according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport, who tweets, the Arizona Cardinals are interviewing former Texas Tech coach and USC offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury for their job. And da da da. The New York Jets had also expressed interest in Kingsbury as a head coaching candidate. Rappaport added that Gang Green interviewed the coach. Oh, the Jets. Gang Green interviewed the coach on Monday. USC. That's a bad name, Gang Green. Um, USC hired Kingsbury as its offensive coordinator in early December. He's still employed at the school, Rappaport reported, per a team official. And that was a lot of the, the hoorah earlier this week was that Kingsbury would have to resign in order 
to take up these other interviews. Kingsbury spent, apparently he's not, Kingsbury spent the 2018 season at Texas Tech, but he was fired after a 5-7 and seven season. Kingsbury then accepted the position at USC. The former air raid slinger served as offensive coordinator at Texas A&M during the height of Johnny Manziel mania. Before taking the post at Texas Tech, he went 35-40 and 40 in six seasons at his alma mater. Uh, so I think in some weird level, there's correlations between Kingsbury and O'Rourke, not just in their physical appearance, but they are new generation leaders. And it's, it's quite something to see those two stories side by side, especially if you're in West Texas, uh, to go from, to go from tech to the pros is not been something that we've seen before, but could very well be the case. Kingsbury, in light of the Mahomes uh, intrigue in the uh, in the pros, could become somebody who puts out more Mahomes. And uh, Kingsbury's even said it was if he had had Mahomes for one more year, he would not have been fired from Texas Tech. But this is a little, you know, I've had some things in the past couple of weeks that have have shook up, and and I just. Whenever there's crisis, there's always opportunity, and it's in those crises and how we respond to them uh, that that you know not only is a legacy made, a statement made about us, but um, it, it makes the metal of who we are. And you know, my hats off to Kingsbury that you know as soon as that news came down, he decided that he could do other things. He had enough. Uh, capital and his character to know that he wasn't just stuck in one position and he could go do something else and that's what we do here rave on man um things don't go well we'll just figure something else out and that's kind of a west texas ethic and really appreciate seeing that about kingsbury so um beto for president and kingsbury for head coach in the nfl see how all that shakes out get in with some shaking out with Ross Ramsey, my political counselor coming up, and then Mike Bazaar. Great show ahead for you. Stay right where you are. You're listening on air. Be back in about 90 seconds. Listen on podcasts. Just go through a quick uh, good country music, Texas country music break, and get back in. Right here on the other side of Texas, we'll be right back. Cross that old red river. This is what I saw. I saw miles, miles of Texas. So miles and miles of Texas Gonna live here till I die Here he is with us this week as he is each week. He is executive editor of the Texas Tribune, Ross Ramsey. Ross, it's all kicked off and uh, the greatest show on earth has just... Yeah, well, here we go again. ...commenced. You ready for this um, one? Yeah, I think this one's interesting. You know, sometimes you get a session that starts with a bunch of um, hype and a bunch of noise and a lot of energy around whatever idea came out of a previous election. You know, last time when the legislature was here, they were um, the Republicans had a pretty sizable majority and read their election results as a mandate for social conservatism. And they came out with things like the bathroom bill and sanctuary cities and some other things. Um, this time is a little bit more subdued, and they're and they're talking about, you know, sort of the normal stuff of government budgets and property taxes and school finance and such. Yeah, but here's my let's go big picture, and then we'll get into what we're actually supposed to talk about. Here's my <laughs> deal: is that I think it's going to be subdued in this legislature and then the next legislature. But once redistricting's done and people begin to believe in mandates again with safe districts under new gerrymandering or redistricting, whatever you might call it, uh, things will hype up again. Does that sound about right, you know, these or things, is that just my beginner well, take? No, these things do cycle, you know, and voters, you know, I, I like to say that the most fickle people in politics are voters. They flip-flop all the time, and, you know, you get a period where voters are saying, you know, we want you to get serious, and then you get a period where voters are saying, you know, let's do some flashy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um 
And right now we're in a serious moment. And I think, you know, I think part of this is we've got a couple of problems that are real straight up things government ought to handle, whether you're a conservative or a liberal. They ought to do something to get the school finance formulas corrected, whatever you think that means. And they ought to do something about property taxes. And I think, you know, that's one of those things where that's a, those are both pretty bipartisan issues and the voter discomfort with those things is pretty high right now. It's also, I think, you know, on some level, I think it's a reaction to Washington and what's, you know, what's going on uh, with the Trump administration and Congress and how they're behaving. And I think a lot of people, you know, further down the political line here in state government are sort of like, let's just ignore all the noise at the parents' table and keep the kids' table kind of civil and get some work done. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those serious issues. The Texas Commission on Public School Finance issued a new report, and you've written about it. Ross, is it possible to do school finance reform without money, without new money? You have to have a lot of money to do uh, any kind of rebalancing. So if even if you don't want to spend any more money on public education in total after you're done than you're spending right now, if you want to rebalance things and lower property taxes or lower the share that local taxpayers pay and raise the share state taxpayers pay, you're shifting tax loads and you're saying, you know, I need the state to have this much more money to spend on education so that the locals can spend this much less money. And it's a giant piece of the budget and it costs a fortune to do anything like that. So even if you didn't want to increase overall spending, if you wanted the state to carry more of the load, that would cost a lot of money. Um, you know, the other way to look, another way to look at school um, finance is they're refiddling with the outdated formulas about how do how much do you spend on particular kids i have an average kid and i spend x amount of money on that kid over here i've got a kid with special needs and we need to spend a little bit more and that's called a weighted payment and they need to redo all that weighting and that means that they're going to take money away from some things we used to prioritize and put them on things that we now prioritize and there's a you know pretty good political fight in there and again it's a lot of money being shifted and it's expensive yeah so when we talk about formulas ross i remember talking to bob duncan about this one time these formulas it didn't like a cheat sheet that has a bunch of variables in it and equations it's literally hundreds of pages um are these folks ready to really go through hundreds of pages in this legislature you know, I, it's it's easy to say no. You know, most legislative things, though, are handled by relatively few people. There's 181 people in the legislature, and, you know, at any given time they're doing four or five pretty complex things. Writing a budget is not nothing. It's 1,000 pages long. It's, you know, over $200 billion now. Um, that's That's kind of tricky. But there are – you know, a dozen people in the legislature who are really, really good at that, and the rest of the legislature just trusts them to do it. And, you know, and the same thing's true on school finance. There are, you know, a, a relatively small but, you know, pretty dedicated number of legislators who are, for all their politics and everything, really good at this and who really understand this. And, you know, the people who, you know, Bob Duncan was one when he was down here. Um, the people who get down in the weeds and handle that stuff, um, I, I think they've got the capability to do it. Really, the question is whether – there are two questions when you do something like this. Do you have enough money to do what you want to do? Um, and d can you line up majorities in both the House and the Senate to do what you want to do? Because there are always – when you're rebalancing in particular, if I'm if I'm taking $2 away from you – and giving two dollars to me, I'm going to be happy, and you're not. And you know, aligning the politics of that are pretty tough. Yeah. Um, let's get into: Do they have enough money? Um, on the controller's end, there's new money all of a sudden, and is it just assumed that that money? How much is it, and is it assumed it's going to go towards uh, school finance? Uh, the second question is easy. There's no assumptions that really apply. I mean, we have to see how the House and Senate write their first proposed budgets and where the leadership is, and then you start talking to members. And, you know, everybody has different priorities. Some people want to spend money on mental health services. Some people want to spend money on public education. Some want to spend it on property taxes. Some want to spend it on Hurricane Harvey. There's a lot of 
competing priorities. The controller came in and said that the amount of state money available, the budget's got state money in it and federal money and some other sources. Uh, the amount of state money available will be up 8.1%, which is better, frankly, than, than people thought it would be. You know, I was talking to a lot of people who really watched this and they were expecting smaller numbers, but he said, you know, the legislature is going to have uh, about $9 billion more to start than it had before. You're going to have mm -hmm. to subtract out what they have to spend to bring the current budget into line, which is going to be 2 or $3 billion um, to catch up with Medicaid payments and things like that. And you're going to have probably 5 or $6 billion to figure out what to do with, you know, that could be used for school finance, that could be used for this or that or the other thing. And then there's the state's savings account, the, you know, the Economic Stabilization Fund or the Rainy Day account is going to have $15.4 billion in it. So there's a lot of money there. Uh, the legislature has a real bias for spending that money on one-time expenses and not ongoing expenses. But that could be used to take care of a lot of the Hurricane Harvey problems, for example, because those are just one-time expenses. So uh, they're they're in comparatively good financial position. Again, when you take on something like property taxes and school finance, though, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. And even when your budget looks pretty good, uh, they're going to have to do some scratching around to find the money to do to make real significant changes in those areas. Let's say money's used from the rainy day fund for a hurricane, which sounds like what it's made for. Um, about how much money have you heard a number tossed around? How much money? the the harvey aid needs you know the first number that comes out is about a billion dollars um and you know that's that's what they're spending so far but one of the things that hurricane harvey did was um wipe out a lot of property and a lot of businesses and homes that were the tax bases for uh, a lot of school districts in the coastal area of Texas. And so keeping those schools open while you rebuild everything is going to be expensive on a, a kind of a cash flow basis. They're going to have to spend money now that they will eventually recoup later, but probably not in the same budget. So there are a lot of expenses there that they haven't totaled up yet. Um, I've, I've heard some speculation about uh, what Harvey will cost in the six or seven billion dollar range, but the federal government's expected to pay the brunt of that. So, you know, state officials are looking at a billion or more, uh, which is a lot of money. But in the in the scheme of things, it's not as bad as it could have been. And Russ, tell me, whenever we talk about this five to six billion, how exactly mm -hmm. would that be spent on property taxes? Are we all getting a check, or how does that work? Well, you know, the idea, you know, broadly speaking, is that, you know, if the state spends more money on public education than it's spending now, then local school districts will even, will be able to lower what they spend and in so doing will be able to lower property taxes. Okay. Right now, the, the state covers 35 percent of the cost of public education. Local school districts cover 55 and a half percent and the federal government covers the rest. If you level that up, just make it so that the state and local um, shares are both around 45%. Even doing that costs about $5.7 billion. It's just a lot of money. Hmm. So it, it, you, the assumption is that the rates, the tax rates at the school would drop with more money. Right, that the schools would have to spend, would be required to spend less if the state picks up more of the load. And by doing that, they would be able to lower their property tax rates. But that would probably come with the condition that they have to drop their rates, right? Yeah, it's tricky, though, because the state uh, constitutionally cannot levy a property tax, and that extends to it only has a certain amount of power to tell locals what to do with their property taxes. If you if you give them too much instruction, you're basically in charge of the property tax, and being in charge of the property tax is against the law. Hmm. Hmm. So you, tricky. you better do it, wink, wink. Huh. Uh, you kind of you kind of do it in a way. You know what they've done in the past is they do it in a way where they say, "Look, um, you guys theoretically can do whatever you want with your local property taxes, but we're only going to help you if you do this." Hmm. Okay. And you know it's it's basically worked out. It you know it's a screwy way to pay for schools. We have a we have locally run schools that are financed in part by the state, and the rules come from some combination of the state and the local schools and. You know, everything involved in it is some kind of a handshake. 
Really good stuff with Ross Ramsey. I want to ask you, we've talked about budgets this whole time. Polls say people aren't interested in budgets. What gives, Ross? You know, everybody hates math class, right? <laughs> it's uh, the, the budget is, you know, it's an old cliche, but the reason it's a cliche is because it's true. It's the main policy document of any government. If you want to know what a government's about, what it's doing, uh, you look at where it's spending its money, where your, you know, it's that old line where your treasure is, your heart is, where your heart is, where your treasure is. And mm -hmm. you can tell from looking at a budget, if you can sort through all the numbers and things, what a government is about and what it's doing. But because it's not just spelled out, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, because instead it says we're going to spend money on this and not on that, and it's all in technical terms and everything, it's just, you know, so complex that, you know, most people just sort of trust them to do it and wait for, you know, signs of trouble and absent those signs of trouble, just assume everything is going fine. But in fact, we all kind of react to budgets well after the fact. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to watch them. And so because it's hard and because everybody has other things to do, um, most Texans and, you know, frankly, most Americans don't watch the budget writing process. Yeah. Because math is hard. And it's kind of the, what you were talking about, school finance, Ross. There are just a few who know how to do it. And the few in this instance are meeting for six months every other year. Right. Yeah. Well, and, it, and you know, you go to them and you say, you know, what are you doing with school finance? And they start to tell you all the details and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Just fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's uh, exactly how it shakes down. I think a little more attention this time around, though. Uh, real quick, I want to ask you, what do you expect the differences in Strauss leadership and Bonin leadership to be? You know, they've, there's been a lot written about their different styles. They're different. You know, they have different personalities. Joe Strauss is kind of an introvert, and Dennis Bonin is not an introvert. Um, Bonin is a um, – over his years in the House has proved to be really adept at sort of the way the legislature really works. He's really good at looking at something on the floor of the House and kind of telling how it's going to go. He's a, you know, the, the term I use for it is he's a good mechanic. He knows how to get things done and knows how to get things through and knows how to get people lined up. And that's one of the reasons he got his speaker votes lined up. Uh, we're going to see when he names his committees – you know, some some days after, you know, you get elected, the the House comes in, everybody swears in, you elect a speaker, and then you wait for the speaker to uh, name who's going to be chairman of these committees, who's going to be on these committees. And that's where you really see the first sort of policy imprint and the first sort of, you know, well, we know what we expected, and now we can see some of what we got. Who's he going to name in charge of the budget committee? Who's in charge of the committee that writes taxes? You know, who's in charge of the committee that sets the agenda for the House? You'll see all of those things, and you'll begin to get a bead on Dennis Bonin. As a voter in the House, he's been a relatively conservative Republican. Um, but like I say, he's always in the middle of the fight, sometimes on the side you want him on, sometimes not. But he's one of those people who is always in the middle of things, and I expect we're going to see Dennis Bonin's hand on a lot of things as he goes forward. As always... He's at Ross Ramsey on Twitter every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. A new piece there, a new analysis piece, texastribune.org. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Ask for better weather. You were saying with a grin. You the sound of hailstones hitting ten. It's loud enough, you got to yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. We have with us now Mike Bazaar, the Bazaar guy in Lubbock, Bazaar Solutions. Get into some tech talk. What's going out there in technology? What's going right? What's going wrong? And I don't know. Um, we might actually have some good news this week on things that are going right. How are you, Mike? I'm good, sir. Are you? Uh, is my Twitter safe? Your Twitter? Well. I think so. They're they're talking about Twitter might have had a second data breach because they had a big one recently, uh, but there's not been a lot of news about it. Twitter's being pretty quiet. So we'll just say yes until we know different. 
That doesn't sound like a good plan, Mike. <laughs> well, well, are I mean, you saying we'll just assume the best? Well, uh, sometimes, unfortunately, some of this you have to assume the best if you don't know, and no. you're going to keep using the service, right? I mean, I guess that's the that's the kicker. You can't stop using Twitter. I mean, that's what you use to communicate and get your word out and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and like I said, you don't stick a bunch of personal stuff all over it, so you're probably in a pretty good spot. Did you have any New Year's resolutions? I ask you that because one of mine is to give people the opportunity to uh, to allow people the opportunity to meet my worst expectation. And I say that now because I don't know if I want to give Twitter that opportunity or any technology. I think whenever it comes to people, people, I'll give them the opportunity to meet my worst expectation. When it comes to technology, I'll trust God and brand my cattle. That's probably a good idea. No, my New Year's resolution is honestly uh, to be more purposeful and more present. And, and whatever it is that I'm doing, right? It's easy to get distracted by phones and technology and other stuff these days. And so, um, yeah. That's it. So I'm trying to be more purposeful and present in whatever moment I am in. Hmm. Wow. You just got deep there, Mike Bazaar. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> purpose and present. Uh, we got bigger, badder TVs coming out. We do. So everybody's thinking I need to go get my 4K TV. That's the big Christmas gift. And uh, Consumer Electronics Show is going on right now in in Vegas. And anyway, they just are releasing 8K TVs. So your 4K TV is now crap, apparently, and you're going to need an 8K TV. And everybody who's resisted and just has a Plano Jane 1080p TV, um, I guess, is living in the dark ages. Well, or they're ahead of the curve because they can just go get an 8K now. That's it. Skip 4K and go straight to 8. It's so funny. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting. What's that even going to look like, Mike? Like, is it going to look like you're actually there? Well, I mean, it's funny because I already feel like sometimes with 4K and HDR and all the fancy whatever, if you get the right setup, I almost feel like watching TV is looking through a window. Um, you know, I mean, if everything is, is the top quality. So when you start talking about 8K, it, it, it's like at a certain point, I think we're going to hit a who cares mark. You know, I mean, I really, I really do. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's it, great that it's an 8K TV, but can your eye even tell? I've not worn makeup before whenever I've done television, but I would think with yeah. 8K, I wouldn't even use makeup. I would think they'll be able to see it. Well, and, and the crazy part is now if you see like with 4K, especially as, as broadcast, even if you don't have a 4K TV, as the broadcast cameras and other things have gotten better, you notice a lot more like reporters' hair out of place or, you know, like they'll be, uh, it's not all the time, but they certainly have to pay attention to it. It used to be that it wasn't because you couldn't pick up individual strands, strands of hair. You just couldn't see it. But now you can see that guy's hair is out of place. He's got a bunch of stuff sticking everywhere. Mm. I fortunately am bald, so not have that problem. Yeah, well, you know, how much does one of those bad boys cost? How much does an 8K cost? They're going to be crazy expensive, right? And it depends on what it is and everything else. LG released a 219-inch TV that covers a whole wall. Um, And and I'm not trying to dodge here. That one, I think that one's just a 4K. They just went really, really big. but I haven't seen a lot of the pricing on any of this stuff, but I got to think that it's going to be outrageous. And what's funny is my, my 11 year old and I were talking this morning uh, briefly about it. I don't even remember how I got onto it, but I still have a plasma TV and it's hanging over our fireplace. And when the first 50 inch plasma came out, I was working at Best Buy at the time while I was in college and it was 10 grand. And, uh, and that was on sale. Like it was, you know, between 10 and $12,000 for a pioneer, plasma and now they've all come way down and now you can't buy plasma anymore but now <laughs> i was walking through costco the other day and for twenty six hundred dollars i think it is you can get a 75 or 85 inch 4k tv amazing so the prices have all come way way down but i would guess that 8k tvs are going to be you know eight nine ten thousand dollars you know my brother is a missionary and i think of this as we're having this conversation about rapid changing technology and some years ago, he was in West Africa, and children ran up to him and said, um, and asked, is it true that in America you throw your TVs into the ocean? And Michael was really startled by that question 
but as he began to think about it, he was thinking about the big tube televisions and how they aren't used anymore. And these kids have probably seen pictures of them discarded and put on curbs and everything else. That how to them that would seem extremely wasteful. Uh, to us, it's yeah. hey, we got to get with the technology. Yeah, it's lived its purpose. So out the door it goes. Yeah. The craziest thing I have seen yet, and I think is the coolest feature to come out, is LG is now releasing you will soon soon as you know air quotes here i don't know what soon is uh be able to buy a rollable screen and so what they're talking about is like you could have a box on your mantle and hit a button and your tv would unroll out of the box or have it at the foot of your bed or whatever so it would look like a piece of furniture that when you hit a button the tv unrolls out of it Mm -hmm. but because it can roll it doesn't have to be some giant piece of furniture and I think that'll be kind of cool and allow people to hide TVs and do some neat stuff. Kind of like some projector action without the projector. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. let's get into the really cool stuff. Uh, when technology can start to stink, also there's new new toilets that have Alexa in them. Yeah. So Kohler has released a new toilet that they're calling a fully immersive experience, which mm. I think is just a bad way to reference a toilet. But uh, it's Kohler's Numi, N-U-M-I 2.0 Intelligent Toilet. And it is going to have ambient lighting, voice commands, and Alexa built in. Wait, it's Numi? How do you spell that? N-U-M-I. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and so you'll be able to, I guess, sit on your toilet and maybe put a TV in there, and then you could tell Alexa to see your ring doorbell ring released a new peephole doorbell which is kind of cool little when people knock it'll turn itself on it's totally wireless um and that that'll be cool so now you can sit on your toilet and have maybe a tv where your mirror is or something and and ask your toilet to tell your tv to show you who's at the front door hmm. i mean i can do that on my phone right now though i mean as soon as somebody... yeah but you got to touch it Oh. Now you'll be able to just talk to your TV or Listen, talk to your toilet. And have you're it, on have the it toilet, you don't want to be touching a bunch of things. So Yes, you know, the only thing I could think is, and maybe they'll do a shower head or something eventually, but, you know, you have your best ideas when you're on the throne thinking or in the shower. And now you can just, you know, hey, Alexa, make a note and uh, <laughs> record your greatest thoughts, I guess. Yeah, well, <laughs> record greatest thoughts, but also be recorded. I mean, on the toilet, yeah. in the shower, but let's leave it at, at the toilet. You know, we all know that Amazon's listening. So is yeah. this is this like the beginning tier job at uh, Amazon that you're on toilet duty? You're, you're listening on the well, toilet. Well, <laughs> it's, it's all supposed to be AI. But what's interesting to me about it is, you know, Amazon has to listen all the time, right? I mean, that's the same with Google, same with any of these smart home appliances that you can talk to because they have to listen for the keyword. And there have already been legal cases where police have tried to get recordings. There was a guy that was murdered in his house. He had an Alexa, and um, there was a big law- lawsuit because Amazon didn't want to give up the data, right? They want to protect the data, not because they don't want to help solve crime, but because they have a reputation to try to keep of we will protect your data you know, at all costs kind of thing yeah. because people are starting to want that more and more. Uh, so what's interesting to me is, as you start to put these devices in your toilet and in your bathroom, you literally have nowhere now that you will have privacy because it could be recorded. And, and the worry to me is more hackers, right? What happens if a hacker gets connected to that device and they can hear what's going on? And I have no national secrets, but you start talking about you know, there could be, I don't know, they put a smart toilet in the defense contractor's house and that guy's chatting and the Chinese can hack it. You know, I mean, it sounds far-fetched, but that's going to be Mission Impossible 27. You know, they're going to hack the smart toilet to, to figure out how to yeah. infiltrate the bank vault. I mean, just as I'm thinking about it, we've got the Alexa in the kitchen and Jeremy and I had an argument the other night and you know, that would make for a heck of a YouTube viral uh, I mean, it wasn't of much consequence, but I could imagine an argument of consequence um, being leaked could uh, yeah. have some problems. Yeah. Uh, well, and even even take it out of context, and then you could use it in destructive, you know, smear campaigns for public office, whatever. Right? I mean, if yeah, you can get those recordings, 
that's it. And the more you put it out, the scary part is, and I'll just touch on this quickly, is they're doing these things called deep fakes. And if anybody wants to Google it, you can do some more. Maybe we'll talk about it next week or something. But deep fakes, they can take snippets of your voice, and then they can train an AI, and it can sound like you. And they're doing the same thing with movies. So, like, they did one where they took the new Han Solo movie, and they put Harrison's Ford youthful face over and so it's like an eight minute video this guy made where he took all these scenes and instead of the current actor for the solo movie i forget his name um it's harrison ford a younger harrison ford pasted over the top of them wow. and you'd be hard pressed to know that it wasn't real mm. deep fakes so, um deep deep fakes. Fakes. good takes here with mike bizarre bizarre solutions so we get on to all these devices and we download these apps and they're free but nothing's free. So what's going on with these in-service agreements? Yeah, so the Weather Channel is currently getting sued by Los Angeles County because they say, Los Angeles County says that the um, Weather Channel misrepresented essentially what data they were taking and what they were doing with it. So they were profiting off customers' data. Specifically for the Weather Channel, it was geolocation data. Now, I haven't seen all the details because it's just kind of, you know, overview articles that I've seen at this point. But it brings to me the whole, the, just the whole conversation around privacy and how many times have you installed an application, it pops up an end user agreement, and they even make you scroll to the end now to hit OK so you pretend to read it. Mm -hmm. But you scroll through the 10,000 pages or 10,000 words or whatever it is, and you'd accept it and you move on. They literally could be asking for your firstborn child, and you wouldn't have a clue. And and not that even if you did sit down and read all the user license agreements, it's so much legal jargon, unless you're a lawyer, you probably don't even make sense of it. Mm -hmm. So the concern that I say that you know normal people can do is, one, don't use apps or keep apps that you're not using. So if you don't need the app, don't install it just because. And, and what's interesting is we got our kids iPads for Christmas. They were on a great sale, so we got our two oldest iPads. And have used the parental controls we've talked about to lock it down. And so every time they want to install an app, I get an alert. And I look at some of the games they want to install, and I'm like, why do you want to play this game? This, I mean, it has a ton of reviews. It seems like a legitimate game, but you got to tell me why before I'm going to let you install it. Well, it looks neat. I want to see what it's about. And, you know, and there's the part of me, it's like, no, you just, you don't need that app. And so what I would say is make everybody's New Year's resolution, you know, something to do in January because it's an easy thing is, in Facebook, you can go in and, and they have a privacy um, section that you can go check. It's like a privacy checkup. Run through that. Make sure your privacy settings are right. Make sure everything's as private as you need it to be. Obviously, if you do stuff like you do or you're public, you're going to have a lot more public posts than somebody who doesn't. But make sure you're checking that. You can go through your apps that have connected to Facebook. And if you aren't using those old apps, like you don't play Farmville anymore. You played it 12 years ago when it was cool. I never played it, but go ahead. Go, go disconnect it, right? But that's the problem is that all these people have played these apps, and whether it's an app on your cell phone, an app connected to Facebook, an app on your computer, an app on a tablet, those things have the rights that you've given them, and they will continue to collect the data even if you're not using them. And so if you're not using the Weather Channel app, you moved on and you use you know Channel 28 or Channel 11's weather app or whatever, then get rid of the Weather Channel app, right? You know, and there's no reason to have it if you don't use it. And if you use it, great, that's fine, but go check the security settings. You know, there's things you can do like on iPhone specifically, and I think you can do it on Android. I haven't checked recently, but you can go set it where like the American Airlines app is, is one in the weather app. I do this as well. I, I use Weather Underground, but I go in and specifically set it and say, you can only use my location when I'm in the app. Otherwise, you don't need to know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And so the American Airlines app, is really great because I can open it up in DFW and it pops up my location. You're right here. Here's your gate. Here's food. Here's whatever. But it doesn't need to know what I'm doing around town in Lubbock or if I'm not traveling or whatever. I don't, I don't care. And so that's the kind of stuff that I say, it's a good to go do that privacy checkup and go remove old apps. And, and again, just pay attention. I, I installed a flashlight app once or almost did. And it asked for my location data. And I was like, no, why does a flashlight app need to know anything? Mm -hmm. All it needs to know is how to turn the LED on and off on my phone. But my, and do you do so that with your phone, though? Does your phone know your location? Or does Google know your location? Because everything, whenever I pull up Google and I start trying to search something, uh, something locally, uh, it thinks that I'm in Dallas. 
because I won't let it know my location. Yeah, so if you have said don't know my location and that it can't use your location, it'll actually try to pick up your location based off of um, your internet provider, based on searches and history that you've had, um, may do it off location. Sometimes, uh, like when you're connected to Suddenlink, I don't know if anybody ever has done this, where you search for something locally and it gives you results in Tyler. It's because Suddenlink's corporate office is over in Tyler oh, okay. um, or St. Louis. And so it actually, Google thinks you're coming out in Tyler because the way you connected that one time. It doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally I'll see that. And it's probably just the way that the, the data got routed, that one request. And so, again, it, it's, it, to me, it's, it's, it's a fine line. There's certain things that are more useful when they have more data about you, right? And so you're willing to give that up because you open up and your search terms are automatically local for you and it's more relevant and, and that's helpful, but there's always a trade-off. They're all making money. You are the product and you are the, you know, the, what they're, they're selling to everybody else. So the more data you give to them, the more data they have, the more one, you could potentially lose that data. They could leak it, hackers or whatever else could happen. Um, or, um, it's just, you know, data breaches and other thing are happening more and more and you just want to be careful about it. Mm. It's the same reason I don't save my credit card information on any websites. If I don't have to, you know, they want to save it because it's easier, but if my credit card is there and they get hacked, it gets lost. It's less convenient for me to have to type it in every time I go to that website to buy something, but I know that they aren't saving my credit card information. And so I'd rather have that slight inconvenience than, have a news article that says, you know, whatever website got hacked. And then I roll my eyes and go, crap, I got to go get a new credit card. Well, well, and you better never give your credit card number while you're on the toilet because you're going to have one of those. Well, that's, <laughs> I don't know if I will. It's, uh, where did I see it? it it's the new toilet goes for seven grand nine. If you want it in black. So uh, I don't a think I'm ever going to have a $7,000 toilet. I've never even seen a black yeah. toilet. I haven't either, I would but just love I've to see never what... sat on a $7,000 toilet. And I think I've been really content in life not sitting on a $7,000 toilet. I'm sure that comes with like purified water filters so that it doesn't hard, <laughs> the hard water doesn't get on know. it and fluoride and everything else. <laughs> Man. He is Mike I'm Bizarre. Bizarre things with Mike Bizarre. Uh, televisions, toilets, and uh, get rid of those old apps. Mike Bizarre, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Appreciate Tell it. Tell them again where they can reach you. Yeah, so Bizarre Solutions. It's BizarreSolutions.com, B-A-Z-A-R. Or give us a holler at 806-853-7757. He's the tech guy. He keeps us all. We know the demos, and we know a lot of folks are interested in tech, and that's why we take time and talk with Mike Bazaar about it. We'll talk to you next week there, buddy. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Stick right with us. Coming up, a few notes to close out this edition of Other Side. Be back about two minutes from now. All those bills, all the stuff you don't want to throw in the trash, you hadn't shredded, you just want to get rid of it, take it down there to Lubbock File Room. Tell them we said howdy here on the other side of Texas. Uh, we've had some great conversations over the past couple of weeks. You can find those anywhere you can find a podcast. Just go search Other Side of Texas, and you can listen to Ted Mitchell last week, a really candid interview with the Texas Tech Chancellor, Lubbock County Judge Curtis Parrish, and then even into this week, we've had um, Garza County Judge Lee Norman, uh, John Gibson, a Democratic Chairman, Lubbock County Democratic Chairman, uh, in a good, solid conversation yesterday. If you've got stories or interviews that you think that we need to do, uh, things to look into that you think would be other side of Texas worthy, uh, folks that we need to be talking to, Jay at other side of Texas.com. That's J A Y at other side of Texas.com. And that's really the bulk of the program is I want to get in with interesting people talking about things that matter as uh, you think about where you live and about your place. And if you've got some of those folks, I'd love to uh, 
uh, have some suggestions from you. Always looking uh, for more folks to be a part of the conversation. So I'm headed to Austin, uh, about to peel off and head out to Austin and go speak at a conference with Ross Ramsey and Harvey Kronberg, Harvey Kronberg of the uh, Quorum Report and uh, Ross Ramsey, Texas Tribune, going to be talking about uh, the governor's, well, we're going to be talking about urban counties, and I'm going to be talking about urban from a rural perspective. Uh, Reuben, as uh, Judge Parrish has referred to Lubbock County, not rural, not urban, but certainly rural's outside of it, no cattle guard gates around the city of Lubbock. And we'll have more to talk about. I think one point of conversation is going to be a proposal that if taxes go up more than 2.5 percent there has to be it triggers a rollback election in which a county a city uh, whatever entity has to have a rollback rate election and there's lots of ins and outs to that Um, people who support it say voters ought to vote and people who don't say that's not enough margin as you heard Uh, Judge Norman say uh, there are times in which commodities rise and fall and they need more of a margin by trusted elected officials to make those decisions than just a 2.5. It's an urban problem, many rurals say, so solve it in an urban way and it'd be interesting to see how that bears out here in the next legislature glad to be a part of that conversation coming up the rest of this week you've got uh, we're going to be talking uh, got my buddy brandon darby on and we're going to be talking about some quite frankly populism and populist takes on economy and uh, that tucker carlson piece that's gone viral we'll have plenty to say about that coming up in the episodes ahead so until then i'm gonna get home gotta get home a great great family above average dinner waiting for me and i hope that the same is true for you as well rave on buddies rave on we'll see you next time right here on the other side it's who we want Emily Jones for ABC Bank. Life is a hustle. As a busy mom, wife, and sportscaster, there is never an extra minute in the day. I rely on ABC Bank to have my back. They have the tools I need to get my banking done on the go. I like my banking simple and honest, and they take the hassle out of the hustle. Bank on better with ABC Bank. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Speed Queen washers and dryers are built to last longer than any other brand in the market, designed to last 25 years in your home. So it's only fitting that they're also backed by the industry's longest-lasting warranty, a warranty that's five times longer than the competition. And unlike anyone else, our warranty covers parts and in-home labor. You heard that right, parts and labor. Covered. Get your Speed Queen and our industry-leading warranty at Brand Source Radio Lab, located at 4902 50th Street. 